This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. The New York Red Bulls are your 2015 Eastern Conference regular season champions and will play to take home their second supporter shield in three seasons Sunday night at Toyota Park in Chicago. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. Tonight at Seeing Red, we're going to go inside the Red Bulls 4-1 demolition of the Philadelphia Union at Red Bull Arena. On Sunday, we're going to preview New York's latest attempt to win at Chicago or Bridgeview's Toyota Park, which they have never done before. We're going to talk to Ali Curtis, who is the sporting director of the New York Red Bulls, and we'll answer some emails and get you ready for Decision Day, or I guess it's Decision Evening, 2015. Dan Dickinson, how are you, sir? I'm good, Mark, but that intro took longer than seven seconds, so I'm sorry, but you're going to have to... Oh, no. Mike Grella... He's uh, he he is drinking an energy drink. He, he he's certainly doing something. Um, just an incredible goal. Never mind Simon Borg saying it shouldn't have counted because he was over the line before the ball was kicked. Um, just uh, how can you start a game better than that? Well, let's <laughs> obviously you you can't if you're MLS if you're an MLS. Um, but let's let's talk about that rule for a minute because Borg was undone apparently because. Grella moved across the line before um, before the ball was kicked. Grella moved at the whistle. And I'm just kind of wondering, he didn't enter the circle. Must he, in addition to listening for the whistle, watch the player's feet to make sure that they've done their little... Uh, the little dance to kick off the ball? I don't, know what the, I don't know what the rule is, but nevertheless, really horrendous play from Philadelphia. Like, at least three times, right? The Union midfielder missing it, the defender, and then, of course, Blake watching the ball go in the net. It was a magic moment, in a, in a season of magic moments for Mike Bell. Definitely, and uh, there was a, a funny comment on MLSsoccer.com where when somebody was listing the laws of the game, specific about kickoff, and you know, there's five bullet points, somebody replies and said, you forgot one crucial point that actually isn't part of the rule book, which is refs get crap wrong all the time. <laughs> the goal count, sorry, you took all the time to write about this. It's not going to get changed, which is, which is true. I mean, we have to remember that there's a, there's a certain amount of uh, inherent flaw to the rules of the game. In any case, uh, you know, when I, when I originally read about it and watched the highlight, because I was traveling at the time of the game, um, I, I was taken aback that Mike scored this on an opposing kickoff, because, you know, that, that requires the the uh, the other team to be that inept that you, right. you get a chance like that. But uh, upon reflection, I've come to the conclusion that I don't think there's any way to score a goal that quickly or, or to really beat the record any further unless it's on an opposing kickoff, only because um, that at least starts moving the ball directly towards the goal you're running at. So, you know, if, if your team has to back pass it as the team did two years ago when Tim Cahill scored in eight seconds in the next to last game of the season before they took on Chicago to win the shit and everyone, um, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it feels like that's fitting, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess you could do it if the, if the you know, starting player taps it and you just chip launch it, point. Yeah. just chip the keeper. Yeah. I guess if the keeper's not really paying attention, that'd be one way, but nevertheless, Grella, not one, but two goals. Bradley breaks his six match scoring drought, which is great, and once again, Bradley had a lot of chances to put the ball in the net in this match. Glad he got one. And then Kamar Lawrence on a, a phenomenal team goal where the ball is passed something like six or seven times, in, seemingly in the box, and then Dak sends it across and Kamar uh, knocks it in his first MLS goal. And that was it. I mean, literally, that was it. Any, anything in the second half catch your, uh, catch your eye? Not really. I think Luis Robles might have made a nice save or two, but uh, he made a couple of extraordinary saves. Yeah, but uh, the, the, ga- the game was over in the first two two or three minutes at this point. Um, and you know, if you look at Kamar Lawrence's goal, um, it's really telling because Kamar didn't shoot it so much as the Philly defender tried to clear it into him, and it just happened to turn into a beautiful shot. Into the back of the net, and and those are those sort of lucky breaks that might get people believing that this is a uh, charmed or blessed team this year. So, um, but glad to see Kamar 
get, get on the board finally. It was lovely to be honored on the field as one of the Red Bulls 120 before the game. And not only did I miss Grella's goal, because we were under the stadium at this point, <laughs> but we went to get food before our seats, and we missed uh, the second goal as well. So I'm glad they have video recording machines and highlights and things like that. But nevertheless, a whole lot of fun. So New York, their 17th win of the season ties their all-time record. Their 12th win at home in a season uh, set an all-time record for the club. The club, 60 goals scored on the season, leads the league. They have the greatest goal differential in MLS, which is really important. Um, and they wrap up the Eastern Conference. And the interesting thing about the Eastern Conference right now, it, it is a complete and utter mess. Um, but before we get to that, let's get to Bull and Cow for the kind of demolition that I think Red Bull fans uh, really could have dealt with dealt fine with without the drama the last few home games, right? Definitely. Last last two wins, Columbus, Montreal, nail-biter, 2-1 wins, and this was a blowout, and I think fans would absolutely take it to lock up the East. So, your bull of the match, sir, as if I need to know uh, who that is. easily. I mean, two goals on the night, uh, <laughs> steals a record from a fellow Red Bull player. Um, what What more can you say? Yep. As, as well, the only other uh, point I'd add is that Luis Robles is now the all-time wins leader in club history for league wins. He still has a few more to catch Tony Mueller for all competitions wins, which he very well might do this year before it's out. Uh, do you have a cow? jeez. Uh, I don't know that I do. The Sons of Ben brought nine fans. I don't remember another time in the short history of the Philadelphia Union that they have shown such apathy towards supporting their team. Yes, their team is out of it. Yes, there's absolutely nothing to play for. Yes, their their golem, Nick uh, Sakevich, is finally gone, which is terrific for them. Longtime fans of the team and longtime Metro Stars fans know just how uh, wonderful that is that Nick Sack has uh, departed uh, from ruining yet another proud franchise, or franchise, as we'd like to call it. But you got to you got to go. You got to support. I mean, nine fans couldn't drive. Ten fans couldn't drive ninety miles to make this happen. That's really sad. And in in absence of Dan coming up with something better, Sons of Ben, boo to you. Now, mind you, there was nothing to cheer about for these guys all day. Obviously, when you're down two goals before I, four minutes, I think run. they made the right choice. <laughs> I mean, maybe they knew it was coming and just said, "Forget it. We're not. It's not a long trip, but we're not. We're not going to try." Well, that's interesting considering how well they played in Red Bull Arena so far. But well, uh, if New York obviously comes and takes that kind of urgency, obviously two goals in four minutes, uh, Sunday is going to be a whole lot of fun. So, young Matt Miazga returns Sunday for the Red Bulls. The team was three and one. In his absence, and yes, we can talk all we want about Zubar's howler in Toronto, and it was a howler. But nine out of twelve points, uh, I, not not too shabby, frankly, no. not too not too no. shabby at all. Um, so I believe that Zubar will return to the bench, and Young Matt Miaska will uh, return to his starting spot. Um, and the match itself, uh, before we get to the match, let's just just talk about where we stand. We do our little playoff. Reset. This is really all there is. There's one game left. It's in Chicago at 7 p.m. now. 7 p.m. at 5 on MSG+. New York needs to win the game. And barring the greatest offensive outburst in MLS history, a win will lock up the shield for the second time in three years. The rest of the East is a bit of a mess, though, which you can argue is a wonderful thing. The other five teams that are in playoff position are all within four points of one another. So to even call who's going to get the other knockout, uh, the other bye to the conference semis is impossible. DC 51, Columbus 50, Toronto 49, Montreal 48. Those are the teams that have clinched, and uh, New England has an eight-goal differential lead on Orlando for the last spot in the East. I, I don't really see Orlando making that up. Um, if the, the playoffs start today, you've got Toronto uh, hosting Montreal, which would be a phenomenal knockout match. New England, 
traveling to Columbus. And then, as you confirmed, Dan, uh, this week, the Red Bulls will play the lowest remaining seed. It is not a hard draw. Whoever is the, the lowest remaining seed New York will get, which, of course, could be any of those teams. I guess, I guess the third seed, but yes. It, it, it cannot be the third seed um, right. by the, the nature of it. So, yes, I would expect it to be, you know, Montreal and New England will probably be in that mix, um, whether it's Toronto in the fourth seed or Columbus or DC. Well, I, I think it's impossible for DC to end up less than third at this point. Yeah, I think uh, so. So unlikely that that we'll meet the uh, the longtime rivals in the semifinal round. They can drop to fifth, actually. Oh, because of everybody it, else. Because uh, of the goal difference is very very close with all of these teams, and they all have thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen wins. But uh, but that's the problem it, is that Toronto and Montreal are playing each other, so they can't both leapfrog. Ah, uh, DC yes. is playing Columbus. Uh, yes, they could. I they could drop to fourth at least. So. We'll see. All right, it, it's a big mess. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is that now the Red Bulls will be playing the. Uh, it's kicking off with the other final matches of the regular season on decision day, and just this afternoon there was a very interesting uh, news afternoon for all of Red Bull fandom when the date change was announced. And Dan and I had a very hearty discussion about why, in fact, that shouldn't matter whether the two teams kick off on the same time. Would you like to crystallize your your argument now that it is, in, in fact, a moot point? That's the best time. So it, the, the <laughs> argument was not that it doesn't matter, but that in the circumstances that MLS had the schedule, it didn't matter. Because New York-Chicago was going to kick off at 5 o'clock, which means it would have ended around 7. Right. Teams are required to put in their lineup sheets an hour before kickoff. Mm-hmm. So Oscar Pereja, as much as he's going to pot and scheme, um, as as though he's not going to come out for a win anyhow, it's their final home game, they're going into the playoffs, they want to be in good form, that, that he would somehow know what the result is going to be at halftime, and that he would know that Chicago is blowing out New York, because the only... The only way he's not going to play for a win of Chicago... Is if New York is blowing out Chicago. No, if New York... If, well, yeah, there, there's the I might rest some starters option, but... Even still, it's it's at halftime, and I don't think this game is going to be a blowout in either direction, partially because Chicago is awful and partially because New York never does well there. I you know I think it will be close at halftime, mm-hmm. and so and I don't know what the rules are about changes to lineups. It might be injuries only. I, I I've never heard of a coach doing a tactical switch after the lineup sheet goes in. No, um, but you know you have to have your players warm up for the game. You, you generally have your starters warm up together because they're going to be playing together, and you have your reserves. The, the idea that he's going to like flip the bench or play for a draw because New York lost, whatever else. San Jose is hanging on for dear life, and they if they don't win, they are absolutely out, and even if they win, they need some help. So I, I don't see this as a game in any circumstance that Dallas could sit back. Now, if New York and Chicago were playing at 2 o'clock, and Dallas had been kicking off at seven. Yes, then it would have been a difference. But because there was overlap in the the roster time, that's why I said it really doesn't matter. All right. Uh, my point was that the game will be meaningful for at least one team, regardless, and that's San Jose, mm-hmm. right? As you said. And the notion of let's say New York was up three nothing at halftime. Let's just say, then Dallas had absolutely nothing to play for. They can't be caught. You know, maybe it's a question of playing some more of their kids. I think they start, they've started five homegrowns. Maybe they, you know, go at 60%. That's all I'm saying. Nevertheless, it really won't matter because the Red Bulls were now going to be kicking off at seven at the exact same moment that FC Dallas and San Jose will be kicking off. And that should lead to some very, very interesting drama and tension. Ollie Curtis, who's our guest this week, is going to talk a little bit about how that came to be and why that's a good thing. And I think it is a good thing for the league. Ironically, neither of these matches are on national television, so it will really be uh, on MSG Plus, or if you're an MLS Live or Direct Kick subscriber, you can watch both games side, to, side by side. But I believe it's also on ESPN3. Oh, very or interesting. At least all okay. the other seven o'clock games were, so I would imagine ESPN might be adding it. So we'll see. Of course, this 
time change affects one group of people probably more than anyone else, and that's the traveling hardcore support that had made a point to go and buy their tickets, uh, their plane tickets for this game, believing the game was going to end at 7 o'clock and not at 9 o'clock central. And this afternoon, the Red Bulls, when the change was announced, they very quickly, and uh, you know, from my point of view, did the right thing, is to offer some sort of... Uh, recompense for these fans. And we can share with you that there will be, if the Red Bull fans who are doing the traveling are able to show either a an airfare change receipt or if they choose to stay, a hotel receipt, um, adding an extra night of hotel, that the Red Bulls will reimburse the traveling fans. And uh, there aren't more than 100 folks that are going out. Um, the amount, uh, the exact amount is yet to be determined, but nevertheless, I think uh, definitely the right thing to do for the team and uh, you know, really rewarding the, the hardcore fans that are making the trip. I know that there were, in, this, in the interim period, there were people that were really, really unhappy um, that, were, that the, the, the change in the time was made. So, uh, so good on the team for making, uh, for making good there. So, New York goes into Chicago on Sunday night. Chicago is the worst team in MLS. They are 8-19-6 on the season. They've scored 42 goals in 33 games. And they have a goal differential of minus 14. They won all of their eight games at Toyota Park, 8-7-1. They did not win a road game this year. And New York, oh, by the way... Is all time zero nine and five at Toyota Park. The last loss coming on August 26th, when I think many Red Bulls fans were shocked that New York fell into the trap of the quick counter. Uh, Igbon Anike dropped a brace on New York, as well as Patrick Nyarko, uh, Kleshin, and Zubar got the goals for the Red Bulls, but it was not a good night, and it was really kind of. That and the Vancouver game were two of the nights that you really kind of th- kind of thought, well, is this team really actually good enough to make this happen? Because Chicago is not a good team, but nevertheless, New York they gave New York fits and challenged New York uh, in New York's 3-2 win at home on September 11th. So your thoughts on what we might see out of Chicago, who were destroyed at RFK 4-0 by DC last week? They were, and... It's always hard with this club to take that historical record and wave it off as though it's nothing because, you know, we, we've seen legends and, and myths and all the rest of this mm-hmm. for so long that it, it's, mm-hmm. it, it sort of feels like it's self-fulfilling. But I can't think of any other game this year that this team is going to just be able to naturally get up for. They know what's on the line. They know what they need to do a win and it's effectively theirs unless Dallas can score 10 goals. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, I, I think back to last year when every time the, or the years prior, every time the team went to new England, they're, you know, they're not going to get right. a result. They're not going to get a result. They're not going to get a result. And then last year they, they did. finally did. Yep. And that was that. And now it's no longer house of horror. So those, those sort of streaks do have to end at some point. And they go both ways. Remember, Philly had never won at New York until this year. And they yep. did it twice, effectively. Um, you know, the streaks are meant to be broken. And so I think the Red Bulls will come out flying. I think they do need to be careful defensively. They can get torn up on the counter. We've seen David Akam just, yep. you know, destroy this side. I, I think they're in a little bit of a, um, a muddle just mentally in Chicago at this point. Um, you know, Mike McGee seems to have written himself out of the team by changing his Twitter profile the other day. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of uncertainty about who's sticking with the club and who's not and, and all the rest of that. So, you know, you might get some players playing for their spots next year. Um, and I'm sure Chicago wants to play spoilers to New York. So I, I think it'll be a good match. I think it'll be a, a memorable match no matter which way it goes. And I, I think the Red Bulls just need to get the job done rather than worrying about what's happening in Dallas. David Akam, 10 goals and 2 assists. Igbon Anike, 7 and 3. Jeff Lorenowitz. Jeff Lorenowitz. 6 goals for the fire. Gilberto, Toronto Castoff, 4 and 2. Harry Ship, American Wonderkind, 3 and 8. And 
Michael Polster's on this team as well, who's done very well. And so it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. Patrick Nyarko, who scored earlier three and three, uh, if I mean, if you if you look at the last time New York lost, which you don't have to look that far, it was a week ago Wednesday, when they went up to New England, and, excuse me, when they went to Toronto, and um, and Jesse Marsh's words were, "I don't understand why the team didn't get up for this game," but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, let's be honest, if they had won the other day in Toronto, then they, I guess, would need a point, all but need a point to, to lock up the, the game, uh, to lock up the supporter shield. But if they had gotten a They're, draw, which, you know, let's say uh, Zubar doesn't have his mental error and it's just the, right? the other two goals, they'd still need a result, basically, going into this. So I'm not going to go back to the Toronto game and, and sort of, Rewrite history, or, or no? You can't do if yeah. this then that. But nevertheless, it was a big game. They were playing without their three DPS for seventy minutes in the game, mm-hmm. and you had a bunch of uh, former Toronto guys who here two four had not done very well, and they were able to effectively hold New York. I mean, let's not forget, folks, just how hard it is to to win on the road. New York has among the sec the third best road record in the league, and they've only won five of sixteen games. It's very, very hard to win on the road in this league. Mm-hmm. And so they've already lost there. There are no guarantees. I mean, there are a lot of reasons to be very, very optimistic, and there are reasons to be very pessimistic as well, <laughs> except when you consider that this team is the Eastern Conference champion and they're going to be home through the playoffs. The question is, can they ensure that they uh, they can get the last game of the season at home, which would be, of course, phenomenal. So that said, your prediction, sir... And we've got a few more points to cover. Your prediction for New York at Chicago, 7 p.m. Sunday night on MSG+. I'm going with a 1-1 draw. And okay. yes. a San Jose 2-1 win in Dallas. <laughs> I- I'm telling you, desperate San Jose. It's a Dom Kinnear team. Yes, it, it, they do, they do desperate. They do desperate better than anybody else. I am going to say it's going to be a 3-1 New York victory. I think Akam is going to score early, not unlike Mike McGee early in the Shield game in 2013. And I think New York is going to come back and uh, be up 2-1 by halftime and get a third very, very late, which is going to make everyone incredibly nervous. But they will get the third, making the game in Dallas completely moot, completely and utterly moot. We didn't really talk about the fact that with the Eastern Conference comes a berth in the CONCACAF Champions League. And isn't that nice for 2016-17? And maybe, maybe, the Red Bulls will actually get out of the group stage this Whoa, year. Oh, hold the phone, Mark. Or next year, excuse me. Well, one thing to consider, and I, this is probably jumping the gun a little bit, but there was all that talk about the CCL changing calendar formats. so that it, But I believe that's for the following well, year. Well, it, it would be 2017, right? Right. So, does that mean... I don't think that means that you don't play a tournament next year. No, no, year. that they would play in 2017 instead. I don't know. I mean, if they're going to... That they're would mean that you're not playing the tournament next year. Right, well, they, they've still earned the... Bur- Anyhow, we'll see, because we don't know what that actually will mean. Um, at some point, they're going to have to either have two concurrent, two concurrent uh, tournaments running or have a six-month break in between if they're going to shift the schedule. But in any case, the, the point I wanted to make was the, the one debate I've seen throughout the year on Facebook and on Metro Fanatic and on, on Reddit to an extent is, you know, has this been a successful year for the club? And, you know, do you sign Ali Curtis to a longer deal? Do you sign Jesse Marsh to a longer deal? What do you do? And, and the one thing the people, and in fairness, these people have been around the team for a long time, the one thing they always fall back to is they haven't won silver year yet. We're not going to judge until the end of the year. And, and that's been fine throughout the year. Um, all I want to point out is in every other league in the world, qualifying for the Champions League counts as a successful season. Arsene Wenger has said finishing fourth place is like a trophy to us. So if a CCL berth is successful everywhere else in the world, I don't know, regardless of what happens on Sunday with the Shield, I don't know how you can't call this season a success. Oh, it's absolutely a success. Well, there will be some people, if they don't win the Shield, who will say, nope, doesn't count. Then they got to win MLS Cup. And if they don't win MLS Cup, nope, it's a failure. I've 
the team has now won the Eastern Conference for the fourth time in their history, and three of those wins came in the Red Bull Arena era in 2010, 2013. Huh? Three of the last six. Three of the last six. That's right. And so, I mean, say what you want, playoff performance notwithstanding, this team has done very, 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 very well. Since they've moved into Red Bull Arena, they've made the playoffs every year, which, yes, I know, folks. But again, finishing top three out of six years is pretty darn good. Before we go to break and talk to Ollie Curtis, I want to mention two things. First of all, there was a story in um, Sports Business Journal this afternoon that mentioned that the Red Bulls are interested in selling the naming rights to Red Bull Arena, that they are investigating the sale of the na- building name. And I, it's for a lot of fans, a lot of long-term watchers of this team, especially in the Red Bull era, that's sp- staggering that the building would actually be called something else. But when you look at what's happened over the course of the year, Yanmar having massive placement in the stadium... Um, you know, the, the USL team, regardless of how many fans they drew or didn't, uh, in the arena. The, the Audi sponsorship, the Bear sponsorship, they, they, yeah. they have definitely been pushing corporate sponsorships this year and maybe being a little less concerned about the corporate synergy with uh, the mothership. And I think it speaks to perhaps uh, Herr Matischitz's insistence that the team get to profitability and or make a profit as quickly as they can. Listen, their payroll is $9 million less than last year. Mm-hmm. And they have some pretty high-profile sponsors, as you said, you know, Yanmar, Bayer, Audi, visible in and around the stadium. And if the building is called something different, it will be even more money in their uh, in their till, which of course speaks to what money you assume can be invested in the uh, in the facilities and in um, in the academy and things like that. So very very interesting. And as a matter of fact, we asked earlier in the afternoon. We asked our fans what, in fact, the Red Bull Arena should be called if sold, if the, the, the naming rights were sold. And among the responses, and I, I just have to find, let's see, Edward Solomon says Audi Arena. They already named the club lounge to Audi. Okay. Danielle uh, Giannis says StubHub East. Interesting. <laughs> um, Do we get Cosmo if that happens? Oh, boy. Yeah. Dan, uh, trust me, nothing will be named Cosmo around this, this club. <laughs> uh, Sigil Tempest, Dan, on Twitter says, New York Red Bull on the Mountain Dew kickstart pitch at Five Hour Energy Park, brought to you by Rockstar. Wow. Okay. Uh, let's see what else we can find. Uh, I I think that's about it. So those are some good suggestions. Um, Send us an email. Tell us what you think. What what should Red Bull Arena be called in 2016? Hopefully uh, Championship Arena would be really, really nice. When we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to talk to Ali Curtis, the sporting director of the New York Red Bulls. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. We're back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson here with you. And big tree tonight, the architect of the Eastern Conference champion, New York Red Bulls, joins us tonight. And that's Ali Curtis. How are you tonight, Ali? I'm doing well. I appreciate it. It's uh, great to be on tonight. Well, we're happy to have you. Um, The big news today, of course, was at the start time of the match against the fire has been pushed to 7 p. Eastern, so it's in line with the kickoff in Frisco, Texas. And we understand that you had a little something to do with that. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm happy the league uh, made that change. You know, ultimately it's in the league's hands. But uh, it was one of those situations where you want the team that you're competing against to have as less information about you or what they have to do (laughs) in a game as possible. So, um, you know, I made a couple calls, made a couple emails, and at the end of the day, um, it worked out, you know, for us from an on-field perspective. I know 
a little bit, it'll be a challenge for some of those folks that already had their travel plans made, but hopefully we can work with them over the next few days to try to mitigate that impact. Sounds good. Ali, at the beginning of the year, did you expect to have claimed the Eastern Conference and a CCL berth with a week to go? Were you were you expecting success this quickly? Uh, you know, I didn't. Um, you know, I don't. I didn't have anything written down to that said, "Hey, we're gonna." You know, we'd have the Eastern Conference locked down right now. Um, you know, most importantly, we just really wanted to kind of, um, you know define what the, felt the identity of the club needed to be and really try to get in the right direction in terms of style of play, the culture and the environment that we wanted, you know, at the training facility and how we, we treat each other, uh, staff and players. Um, and we think ultimately kind of, you know, creating that championship culture would translate into, into championships. And so um, I'm happy that we've been able to achieve so much uh, so quickly. Um, and we've made a lot of progress, but we still have a lot of work to go. Ali, which teams, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Ali, the, the Red Bulls have, have won the marathon of the regular season, and that's uh, really, really impressive. But as we all know, the playoffs are now a sprint, and all the counters go back to zero. Given the the style of the high press that, that the team has played this year, are the bodies fit enough to push for six more games, especially having played a high press all season long? Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, we train hard, we play hard. Uh, we're looking forward to it. We're, we, we, we are excited about the playoffs. And, you know, it's, uh, it's go time. So, I mean, I'm excited, you know, the coaching staff's ready to go. The players are fit. Um, uh, they're competitive, and uh, we we feel like we're in a good spot. We're fortunate that we we've performed and we get the buy into the conference semis. So um, we'll be ready to go. So yeah, all systems go. At the at the uh, town hall too, Ollie, you shared a little bit, or it was shared, about the training technology that you guys have put into place where the players have smartphone apps and they're they're logging very, very detailed way what they're eating, how they're sleeping, how they're feeling, and it seems like the training regimen has certainly helped them. Is is that something that's unique to Red Bulls and MLS as far as you know? Do, can you share a little bit more about uh, this uh, surely innovative way to make sure that the players are the healthiest they can be? Yeah, I, I think every club does it a little bit differently. Um, you know, most clubs, a lot of clubs have the GPS data where they're tracking kind of, you know, how much distance, um, you know, their players are, are covering in terms of how hard they're working and things like that. And, you know, some clubs uh, are a little bit more advanced in this area than others. Um, you know, since we still have a lot of work to, to do in this in this area. Um, we still need to hopefully probably at some point hire a, a full-time person that's solely dedicated on just the performance of our of our athletes. But um, we know the way we play is really taxing on our guys, um, you know, physically as well as mentally. So every little bit helps um, to get our guys prepared for training and get them replenished such that they can perform uh, in games. And so, you know, monitoring what they're eating, um, you know, how well they're sleeping, how they're recovering from training, how they're recovering from games, um, the best we can to mitigate um, uh, injuries and, and strains and things like that, uh, we try to do. So um, I think we're just breaking the seal. Um, I think we've got a long way to go in this area, but the sky's the limit. And I think as we get better at this, hopefully we hire a full-time person, you know, build out a strategic plan to this area of performance. Uh, we'll be better next year, and then we'll be better the following year, and so on and so forth. <laughs> Ali, uh, front office staff, including sporting directors, get a vote at the end of the season awards, um, acknowledging that you are not allowed to vote for your own team. Who's getting your vote for MVP, for Coach of the Year, and for Rookie of the Year? Uh, that's a good question. Um, if you've thought you know, about it at this point, obviously. <laughs> You know, I have thought about it. I mean, I think it's really hard. I think you mentioned, so uh, Rookie of the Year, I think you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think Kyle Aaron has done a fantastic job at Orlando. It'd be hard not to really 
put in a vote for him. And, you know, he, uh, you know, he had a great game against us at Red Bull Arena for sure. Um, so if we have to play him again, um, you know, we'll have to look at the tape and find a way to stop him. Um, MVP, um, there's a couple uh, people probably in, in that conversation. Um, I think, you know, you always look at the goal scorers, and Gio Ginko's been fantastic. You know, Kai Kamara has done well. Um, I would probably say those two guys are probably your front runners, you know. Um, you know, scoring goals is probably the hardest thing to do in the game. And so if you can do it 20-plus times, you're, you're in that conversation. And, and then coaching the year, I think you've got a couple guys that have done fantastic jobs, uh, and they're both have already secured the Eastern Conference uh, regular season titles. Oscar Perea was a teammate of mine in Dallas. He's a fantastic individual. Uh, he had a great playing career, and he's done really well as a coach. Um, he's really kind of found that identity to, to what Dallas is doing um, over there, and they've done really well. They've got good – he's been able to find the best out of his players, and so he's done a fantastic job. And I think Jesse, you know, you know he and I have grown uh, really well together, and he's, he's been fantastic. Um, Jesse's a hardworking, smart individual. Uh, he's a fantastic coach that it will only get better. And he's done a great job with this group, uh, tactically, technically. Um, he's really found a way to motivate them uh, in a way that uh, I'm not sure any coach in this league could do. So, um, you know, if uh, I'm biased, but if, if, I, if, if it's my vote, it's, it, it, it's uh, you know, every day of the week it's for Jesse this year. He's been great. <laughs> I'm biased, but Jesse, I mean, you ask a lot of people around the league, I'm sure they would say the same thing. Well, it certainly would would seem that way. Um, Ali, you're obviously looking across the league. You're looking at all the talent. Which which teams have surprised you across MLS this season? Um, so For the good you know, or the bad? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. Um, I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> I You know, I didn't... I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't think Dallas was going to be as good as they are. They are a fantastic team, and they're really fun to watch. You know, um, you know, we played them early on in the year, um, tied them uh, at their place, um, but they have just. I've watched a number of their games this year, and you know, they're they're one of the teams that are, you know, they're able to get the results. But I also I just enjoy watching them play because I think they play good soccer. Um, so that's one team. Um, you know, and surprisingly so, what I would say is Chicago is a team that actually has some really um, talented pieces and some dangerous players on their team. So I'm surprised that they're actually staring up at all the teams uh, this year and, and, and they're uh, in the 20th spot. So um, that's somewhat of a surprise uh, to me. Um, and so I would say, if it, you know, if I had to look up and I had to look down, I'd probably say Chicago and Dallas are two teams that I didn't expect to be uh, in, in, in the positions that they are. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is MLS, you know, <laughs> anything can happen on any given day or any given week. And so it's always tight. I mean, it's no surprise that, you know, there's still uh, in the Eastern Conference, there's still spots to be had. And in the Western Conference, it's wide open. So it's coming down to the 34th game. Definitely. Ali, uh, you made two big mid-season acquisitions. You picked up Gonzalo Verón as a DP. You picked up Sean Wright Phillips. How do you think their assimilation of the team is done? And are are you a little surprised that they're not consistently breaking into the lineup at this point? So I'm not surprised at all uh, with 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 what's been happening with Gonzalo and and Sean. We felt that like we were operating at a position of strength because we felt the team was really strong. It was solid. Um, and it's hard to break into our team right now. And at the same time, I think it's always harder for international players to uh, come into a game, come into a, a team mid season. Um, you, you're, you, you're, you're coming into a new culture. You're coming into a new environment, coming into a new locker room. And at the end of the day, in terms of their craft, you know, they've got to learn a new system. And so, you know, you've had um, the other players on the team have had six months to really learn the system, learn uh, their roles and responsibilities uh, on the field in various uh, areas of the field and in different moments during the game. And our guys, it really took them six, seven months to really learn that. Um, and now we're seeing the fruits of that, of that labor. 
with Gonzalo and Sean, it's going to take a little bit of time. So we felt that um, we had a great opportunity to, to acquire two very good young men and good uh, players, and we felt that we could use them as weapons for this year, and I think next year um, is where those guys will really be uh, more dominant. That's a nice segue for our next question. Looking past the playoffs, uh, if that's possible, talk to us a little bit about what you're thinking about for, for, for year two. Are there areas of the club that you're already planning on improving as we look towards 2016? Yes, so I have, um, you know, we, uh, me, we have our, um, our eyes on a couple players um, that we'll add. Uh, probably, uh, you know, we're already Tyler Adams will already join the team. Uh, so that will be exciting. Sinisa gets back from the World Cup and then we can get him going in preseason. Uh, there's two other uh, uh, young players that I'm pretty excited about and see if we can conclude those deals. Um, but, you know, I really believe there's a, you know, there's a positive correlation between uh, consistency and success. So, um, I'll be extremely busy over the off season trying to restructure contracts to resign players. Um, but I really want, I think we have a really good group, a very special group. Uh, they're good young men and they're, they're, they're good soccer players. So, uh, going to do my best to keep this team together, uh, as long as we can, um, and, uh, take it from there. Ali, before we let you go, um, at the start of the season, obviously your relationship with supporters was on a little bit of a knife edge. Um, but a few weeks ago when I was at the arena, I saw someone with a sign uh, in the crowd after the match that read, Ali Curtis on a long-term contract. And I think you saw that too. Um, how has your relationship with and your view of the fans changed over the course of this year? I think my – so – a really good question. My my view of the fans has, has always, you know, from since day one, I've known that they're a really passionate um, fan uh, fan base, and they love the community, they love their team, and um, that's one of the things that attracted me to wanting to take the job. So um, I feel fortunate and, and grateful that I am in the position that I'm in. I'm honored to be the sporting director for the Red Bulls, and. Uh, I want to do everything I can to help this club win and for the fans to be proud of it. Um, you know, I think my relationship has, I think anytime, you know, you, you get more time to get to know someone, your relationship grows. And so I think that the fans and the supporters have gotten to know me a little bit more. And so the relationship has improved. Um, it was difficult, um, you know, early on because it was the same story, you know, where, um, you know, our club has a track record of um, inconsistency in terms of a uh, new coach or a new sporting director. And so you got a, a young guy that comes in and he makes a change. And so, um, you know, I could see the frustration in their hearts and their eyes. Um, but I think over time, I think a lot of the things that um, I said, um, you know, I was able to make good on you know, in terms of the promises that we're making and things like that. So um, hopefully at the end of the day, you always have to, people don't give you respect. You always have to earn it. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, and, and I demand that out of, you know, uh, the people that I work with as well. And so um, I think to, you know, our relationship will, will grow over time as it pertains to the fans and the supporters. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's been good, you know, um, and even during those difficult moments, I got a lot of love from from some supporters and fans as well. Um, so um, we got to keep it going. Um, I'm going to do, at the end of the day, I, I want to do the best job I can do and really try to achieve as much as possible for this club. Uh, this club deserves success. It deserves people that work hard, um, that do everything they can to help the club and help the fans. And uh, I'm I'm happy and grateful for for my job and um, and it, it's been great. You know, uh, Mark, I, I saw you you know in Portland, and I also was able to sit down um, at a restaurant in in Portland as well with some supporters and, mm -hmm. and have a beer. And so it's been uh, you know it started off tricky, but it's it's been it's been growing, and I appreciate it. And that's all part of the process. So um, I'm having a lot of fun, and I hope that I that my contributions to the club are positive and the fans appreciate them and we, we keep it going. 
So with that said, you, you want to offer us a prediction for Sunday night at uh, Toyota Park where the Red Bulls have never won? Yeah, we're going for the win. Three points, no question. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, we we want to win. So, you know, I think Jesse mentioned it, you know, <laughs> it, 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 you know, uh, the, the last game um, that we're going for the Shield and after that we're going for MLS Cup. And there's no question about that. So um, we're going to Chicago. Um, we get there Saturday, Sunday's a game, and we've got to take care of business. I can't wait for it. Um, we're going to play the way we play. We're going to try to hit them hard. We're going to press them, be aggressive. We're going to fight and try to score as many goals as possible. So uh, I'm excited. You know, we're all competitive people, so um, it'll be a fun test. I mean, to be able to be in a position where if you go out there and and win and you, um, uh, you, you win the Supporters' Shield, not many people – get that opportunity in life. So um, we're going to do everything we can to get a result um, and, and make the fans proud. Ollie Curtis is the sporting director for the New York Red Bulls. Ollie, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Best of luck in Chicago and in the playoffs as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. There's more Seeing Red coming up right after this. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, New York Soccer Roundup, Eastern Conference champs, playing for the Shield. Very, very exciting. It's Mark Fishkin and Dan Dickinson here with you. Emails, we have three of them, two of them after the Toronto match and one after Sunday's conference clincher against Philadelphia. We'll do that one first. Phil Aramondo, our friend in Brooklyn, says, Mark and Dan, it's, it's Sunday's game is a gift. It's a winner-take-all scenario with a trophy on the line. A rare opportunity to tune up for a playoff run with something truly at stake. Not just for the thing itself, the shield, but for the idea that this team can get things done in big matches that matter. That it's being played at the stadium where the Red Bulls have never won adds another level of adversity and significance. Last week in Toronto, after dropping crucial points in a listless midweek outing, Jesse Marsh said the team failed to understand what big games are like. That the soccer gods have given the Red Bulls another chance to understand this so soon after that defeat is fortuitous. Do you think the team will take the lesson of that match to heart on Sunday and seize the moment to show everyone exactly who they are and what they are about. Fingers crossed. That's Phil Armando in Brooklyn. Well, you're calling it a 1-1 draw. I don't know if that would show uh, everyone exactly who they are and what they're about. It depends on how you get that 1-1 draw. If you come out flying and Sean Johnson stands on his head and there's a fluky penalty, I mean, that can be a 1-1 draw. It, it, the the scoreline is not necessarily indicative of the performance, and sometimes the performance is indicative of the, the scoreline. So... Um, I, I think they will get up for the game. I'm, you know, it's soccer. Sometimes the ball bounces weird ways. Oh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's that's fair. Uh, I, as I said, I think they are going to get the job done. I think they're going to come up flying. I think they'll face the adversity in a David Ockham goal, but I think they're going to come back and swamp them after that and uh, be very happy. The, sh- the Shield uh, itself, the supporter Shield, has its own Twitter feed, and the Shield said that the, the Shield... <laughs> The Shield referred to itself in the third person and said the Shield still belongs to Seattle, and that's where it will be. Of course, it would be very, very tricky given the the um, circumstances of Sunday for the Shield to be under one of the stadiums and hopefully you know, not end up in the wrong place. So if the Red Bulls take the Shield, I'm sure it will appear soon enough. Augustine Sasso wrote, after the Toronto loss, gentlemen of seeing red, I was shocked at the 2-1 loss against TFC on Wednesday. I was used to the Red Bulls not getting too high and definitely bouncing back after losses. We didn't expect Giovinco. No one expects Giovinco or the Spanish Inquisition, but there is a precedence for playing back-to-back games in soccer. The PDL has had teams play back-to-back games on weekends, but in international soccer, there's a precedent. Franco Baresi of Milan and the Italian national team played a match for the for Italy against Romania on Saturday in December of 82, and the next day he played for Milan in a Serie Bay match against Como. I remember reading the newspaper and not thinking much of it until Wednesday, thanks to Wikipedia for those exact dates. As for this Sunday, Philly, an emphatic win, and, in, and indeed it was. And listen, uh, all props to Giovinco. I mean, he, you know, New York, defense were watching him go mm-hmm. and uh, the sad thing is of course if not for Zubar's howler 
you take that goal and you take a draw on the road and you feel pretty good about it. So the biggest issue was, frankly, that they couldn't get much offense going, that they were effectively managed away from the net uh, in the game in Toronto. Any thoughts? I think you nailed it. Ira Jersey, with our last email of the day, also after the, the Toronto loss, seems to me when Jesse and the guys get too up for matches, they lose their shape and concentration. Interesting. All the yelling Jesse does from the sideline I think was kind of productive. I noticed two years ago that coaching youth from the sidelines, guide, don't shide, works best. Oh, Ira. The same thing happened with Orlando, too. We need passion, but calm and aggressive professionalism. When we lose our shape, we do worse. Uh, we had a good time, and that Geo goal was going to happen. He's that good, but it was all about concentration and sticking to the plan that worked. Zubar made a mistake, but no reason. But no reason. We couldn't get a second goal or a third. Disappointing, but let's focus on Sunday and not lament this match. If you notice the same passion turning into a lack of concentration at times this season, Iron section one, uh, 112. I mean, yeah, when you think about when this team has lost um, and, you know, 10 losses on the year, you certainly can come up with days and times that the club has has lost concentration. Um, it's a little few and far between, though, when you think about where the team stands. The interesting thing that since um, since the June 20th match when they lost at home to Vancouver... The team has followed up a loss with a win every time. One, two, three, four, five, six losses over that stretch, and they've won every single time after they've lost, which I guess you can argue is the mark of a very good team that understands how to pick it up. Now they're going to have to go for yet another win streak to hopefully get them into the playoffs. Any closing thoughts, sir? I'm looking forward to Sunday. I think Sunday's going to be a lot of fun. If you're on the Twitter, I'm sure both Dan and I will be there throwing out wonderful, wonderful insight as the game goes on. We really, really appreciate you listening to this edition of Seeing Red. One week to go. We will be back next week uh, to talk about playoffs. We'll probably be back after the playoff opponent has been decided, hopefully, to get us ready for the conference semifinals on November 1st. For Ollie Curtis and Dan Dickinson, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you so much for listening to this episode of Seeing Red. Eastern Conference champs, one game to go for the Shield. Good night, everybody. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.